So we're, we're going to be in Romans 14 this morning, and uh, I, I'm actually not going to have the words up behind me this morning, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans 14. Um, we'll, re, we'll, we'll be getting to that, um, and, or you can just listen along. But my, my title this morning is Holding Convictions and Loving One Another Well, and uh, as I mentioned previously. You know, and, and, and so just to start... Holding convictions is a reality in the church. It, it's going to be something. We all have convictions, right? We will, we will all have varying, differing viewpoints on a host of stuff. So just think about, like, we, we may have differing viewpoints on church leadership structure. We might have different role, uh, views on marriage roles or on parenting or on government, or on church practices, or technology in the home, and how that should be worked out. We might have con- different convictions about education. Uh, we might have different, con- we, we will have different convictions about managing finances. D- did I mention COVID? We haven't even talked about COVID. That, that's a whole nother thing all to itself, right? And, and that that is just the tip of the iceberg. I could go on for 30 minutes probably coming up with all the different ways that we may have different convictions with one another. So it was, it was pointed out to me last week that in my message talking about, you know, how we walk out right now um, with government and, and submitting to government authority, it was pointed out to me that I, I didn't talk last week about where that line is when it comes to obedience to our government. And that's true. I didn't, I didn't get into that. I didn't kind of touch on that. Now, partly that was because of time. You, you just can't cover absolutely everything. But also, my, my intent last week was to articulate why obedience and being the best citizen we can be honors Jesus and embraces his model for submission. And, and in, our, in, a, in our current cultural climate, I think it's really important for us as followers of Jesus to think through that as it relates to our gospel witness to the world. But, but, there are lines, right? Now, are those lines disputable matters? And that's, that's what Paul gets into here in Romans 14. He talks about disputable matters. You know, like, this is the line for me, but this is the line for you. So, so then we're back to this whole idea maybe of like, what, you do you, I'll do me, and, that, and like, are we back to that? What, now, you know, one example, and, and this is just, you know, this is the easiest example right now to bring up, is the differing opinions about masks and how that connects to government. Since, you know, we, we are a public organization, as a public organization, we are asked to abide by public health mandates. Now, what do you do with that? And, and in the past two years, at various times, I have had people tell me, I don't want to wear a mask. I, I just don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to have to come into this building and wear a mask. And I'm like, okay, great. I don't like wearing masks either. I don't like it. Do I want to do it? Not really. Am I doing it because I'm being asked to do it? Yeah, I am. And then you're left with, what do you do with that? Right? And, and we can have all sorts of opinions and convictions about masks. And I know we do, folks. I've had enough conversations with many of you over the two years, or maybe not quite two years since masks have come in, but to know that we have very differing views on that. 
Now, there's different opinions about that. There's different opinions about the separation of church and state. I'm not getting into that, but yes, I have deep convictions about that too. Maybe you do. But where is the line? That's the question. Is there a line? And, and, and I would say, sure there is. There, there's a line. Because we've seen throughout history, godly men and women disobey their governments when they felt a line had been crossed. There's, there's obvious examples. William Wilberforce in England and the slave trade. He went against his government. Martin Luther King and racial inequality and racial injustice in the United States. He went against his government. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany went against his government. In fact, Bonhoeffer was part of a plan, a plot to assassinate Hitler that almost happened. You go, he, he planned to try to assassinate their leader, a pastor. So what do, you, what do you do with that? Now, what led Bonhoeffer to that conclusion, you ask, right? And, and it, it came as a result of deep thought. When you read his writings, and he, he thought, like, this was not a, a decision that he came to easily. He wrestled with it. But he came to this conclusion of seeing what was going on in Germany, understanding what was happening in the death camps, going, we must end this. And he ended up being executed for that. But Bonhoeffer, he was part of the Confessing Church. Some of you may have heard of that in Germany. It was a group of churches that formed as a result of their opposition to Hitler because Hitler was trying to control the church in Germany. And they said, we, we cannot abide by what you're asking us to do. Now, in that same Confessing Church, there was a pastor by the name of Paul Schneider. And he was arrested and he was eventually sent to Buchenwald concentration camp in 1938. And, and while he was at that camp, he, he refused to salute the Nazi flag. They were asked to salute the Nazi flag every day. They would march by it and salute the Nazi flag. And he says, I will not do that. I cannot do that. My convictions keep me from doing that because he felt it was an act of idolatry to the state. He was, he was arrested for that in the camp. He was tortured. He, and he died as a result of that. He was brutally tortured for that. And he ended up dying as a result of that shortly after. Now, what if, what if I told you that in 1940, so after he had already died, that as Germany was moving through Europe, having invaded Poland, Holland, Belgium, there was two pastors who were part of the confessing church who were at a cafe when the news hit that Paris, or France had, they had uh, surrendered to Germany that Germany had been invading them, they surrendered. And so as that news hit the cafe, the, this cafe in Germany erupted in jubilation. And everyone stood up and started giving the, the Hail Hitler salute as they were celebrating this. And the one pastor was shocked to turn and look and find his friend, a pastor, giving the Nazi salute. And he says, what are you doing? And he says, he said, this is not the hill I'm going to die on. Now, what if I told you that that pastor who got up and gave that Nazi salute was Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Revered to this day by so many of us. Now, what was his rationale to the other pastor? He said, this is not the thing to die for. He, he even encouraged, he says, get up, get up. He encouraged him to join him in doing the salute. Now consider the difference in convictions between Paul Schneider and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, both part of the confessing church, both brothers in the Lord. Ultimately, they believed in the same thing. 
And ultimately, there was a line for Bonhoeffer, and ultimately, there was a line for Schneider. But for Bonhoeffer, the line wasn't the Nazi salute. He was playing the long game. In fact, if you look at Bonhoeffer and his record, he opposed the Nazi regime from the very beginning when they came into power in 1933. The record of his opposition was clear, but the other pastor who was at that cafe when he, when he reiterated this story later, he said that he realized as he thought about it that Bonhoeffer's actions revealed that he had moved from simply being a conscientious objector to now being an active conspirator against the Nazis. He wanted to blend in because he had bigger objectives than just opposing a salute. The lines for Schneider and Bonhoeffer were very different, holding very deeply different convictions. Now, we may not know how to feel about that, right? Like we might, in that story, we might go, I, I, you may have different opinions about how Schneider and Bonhoeffer both handled that. And, and this is where Romans 14 is so helpful in revealing how the gospel at work in our lives impacts our personal convictions. And I want to I highlight three of those areas this morning of impact in our lives. So why don't, why don't we pray before we go any further? Lord, I, I just I want to pray, Jesus, that you would help us as we get into this text this morning, as we wrestle with this, Lord, as we want to surrender our lives to you. Jesus, would you be glorified? Would you help us to have surrendered hearts that are open to hear from you this morning? Holy Spirit, we invite you. We thank you that you're here in our midst. And we ask that you'd be at work right now. Lord, I ask that anything that I say that's not of you would just would, would fall away. But Jesus, the things that are of you this morning, we want to hear those things deeply. I pray that in your name. Amen. So before we, as we, as you turn to Romans 14, before we get into it, I just want to give you a, a very quick background to this text. Romans, the book of Romans is written to a mixed group of people, Jews and Gentiles, who are trying to work out how to follow Jesus together with very different cultural customs. And dietary laws and Sabbath keeping were big issues in the first century church, like far bigger than we can probably even understand. It was just, they were big issues. They were a constant, dietary laws and Sabbath keeping were a constant point of contention for Jesus and and the religious leaders of his day when he was on the earth. I mean, they were constantly getting after Jesus for what he was doing on the Sabbath, what, who he was eating with, what he was eating. That was, that was, those were big issues. And the same is true for the early church. As Jews and Gentiles came to follow Jesus together, they're figuring out, okay, how do we do life together? How do we hold these differing convictions? And how do we love one another as the church? So, Let's read verses 1 to 12 to start. Romans 14. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. 
One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to, to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So the first thing I want to draw out of this is that we hold our convictions under the lordship of Jesus. The, the issue in Romans 14 had to do around the Sabbath, right? Some saw it as sacred, others didn't see it as such. They saw everyday alike and around dietary laws, around this whole thing of, of to eat meat or to not eat meat. And we might think, what's the big deal? Like, but it, it was a very big deal in the first century church. Like I said, this had the potential to rip apart the entire church. I mean, it almost did. The, the whole issues of how we're going to live as Jews and Gentiles, that almost split the church from the very beginning into two completely different entities. And praise the Lord that it wasn't split. But convictions on both sides of these issues were deeply held. And, and likewise, we have strong convictions that we've embraced as a result of our upbringings, our experiences, our emotional makeup, etc. We have deep convictions that we hold to. And, and, and situations and circumstances in our lives, they lead us to make decisions. And many times, those can lead to convictions. Right? This, this, is, this is the way that I think it should be because of what I have experienced, the decisions that I've made, and what, how life has come at me. So this is how I think it should be. And then we think, and it should be this way for everybody else. Right? Typically, that's how we, we're inclined to think. This is how I think. Why doesn't everyone think like me? Okay, so full disclosure, I am an Enneagram 1. A one on the Enneagram, if you will. And, and for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, the Enneagram is just, it's a better way to understand ourselves, why we do what we do, why we look at things the way that we look at things. Now, now ones are known as improvers. That's, that's the positive way to look at ones. <laughs> improvers. There's negative ways to look at them, but we, we, we naturally pick up on things that need fixing or improving or Cleaning. Cleaning's a big one. <laughs> ones, ones are also highly principled, typically, and have a high sense of justice. There's, there's just not a lot of gray area for ones. Okay? I, 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 I do not have a lot of gray area in my makeup, my personality. So, so this, guess what? This naturally informs and influences my convictions and the way that I look at things. 
I'm inclined to be very principled in my beliefs. I'm inclined to articulate my beliefs a lot. Case in point. To, and, and this is the thing, guys. Like, all joking aside, to my own detriment at times. Okay? Like, I can... I find myself, I can over-explain things. Like I have to over-explain why I think this way or why I made this decision. And then after I'm like, and then this is the big thing, right? Ones, we, we critique ourselves all the time. So I pull back after and I'm critiquing myself. going, Oh, Paul, like what, why did you do that? Why did you say that? You didn't have to say that. It's the mind of a one. But, but this is, so this is the equally wonderful and hard part of coming to know more about yourself, hence emotionally healthy spirituality. You begin to understand your underlying motivations, but you also begin to see with clarity or increased clarity where change is needed. That's always the fun part in life, right? Where you're like, oh, that really needs to change. Because, and this is the thing, because our convictions are so intricately connected to who we are as a person and what we have experienced, they they can feel like just the very fiber of your being, that they're just part of who you are and how you think. And so what do we do when we are faced with doing life together with others who, who see things differently and with equal passion hold to different convictions? Oh boy. Like, okay, so is the answer in that to simply, hey, hey, find your people. Find your people. Attach yourself to your people. They think like you. They act like you. You're together. And just just be with those people. And, And distance yourself from other people who look at things differently and condemn them like crazy on social media. I'm serious, though. Think about this. How do we think about convictions? Now, now we need to be clear. We're talking about disputable matters here. That's what Paul says. These are disputable matters in the church. They're opinions. Now, is every matter a disputable matter? No. There there are absolutes, right? We're going to hold to core convictions that we believe are central to the way of Jesus and living the gospel. That's why one reason why creeds came into the early church. They needed to articulate, this is what we believe. This is who we are as the body of Christ. Romans 13, just before this, speaks of other actions that we are to put aside. Not engaging in drunkenness, sexual immorality, strife, jealousy, not gratifying sinful desires. Those, Paul speaks of those as they're not disputable matters for followers of Jesus. But we will hold convictions to varying degrees that are disputable, that are opinions And in those areas, these verses tell us we are to hold those convictions under the lordship of Jesus. We we are to remind ourselves, it says here, that everything is to the Lord, everything's under the Lord. This highlights the importance of handling our convictions both with sober judgment and humility. Meaning, meaning that we, you know, we've got to work out, why, why do I hold to certain convictions? And, and why, you know, is the alignment of my convictions to Scripture and to the way of Jesus? Are they? 
Philippians 2, 12 and 13 talks there about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and, and those verses seem to suggest that we would ask ourselves the question, will this fulfill the good purpose that God has for my life? So my opinions and my beliefs, will this fulfill what God has purposed for me? Am I surrendered to the way of Jesus? And, and these verses, they bring us back to that and they, they remind us we're not living for ourselves, folks. Whatever culture tells us, this is clear. We're not living for ourselves. We, we are to live for the Lord in all things. We are reminded here, you belong to the Lord. You belong to him. So, so this has a direct correlation then to how we live out our convictions and how we respond to the convictions of others. There's, there's the rub. The rub isn't so much my convictions. The rub is, oh, that's what you believe? Really? Right? And it, it warns us here about judging others and treating them with contempt. And it also gives us pause. It says we will give an account. Every one of us will give an account for our convictions and our actions before the Lord. That should give us pause to go, okay, how am I really holding this before the Lord? The, the end of this chapter, I didn't, we're not going to read it, but it speaks of us needing to weigh our convictions. Like, like it's, it's asking us, have we thought them through? Have we surrendered them to Jesus and, and invited him to assess them? Do we process our convictions in light of Jesus' lordship in our lives? Are we living with integrity? The end of this chapter speaks of us needing to do that. Because why would that be? Well, this is about gospel witness, folks. Let me, let me maybe explain what I mean by that or how I, how I think that plays itself out. Holding our convictions in a posture of submission to Jesus is about witness. Because, yes, others will see. They'll come in. They'll say, yes, you have convictions. But ultimately, they'll see, but they're under the lordship of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing that people can say, because then what we can do is we can embrace others that come into our midst with differing convictions with grace Rather than judgment and contempt, we go, yes, come, grace, grace. And then they say, but, but you have a different conviction. Yeah, but it's surrendered to Jesus. And when we are walking that out together, that is a glorious, glorious picture of the gospel at work amongst us. But then we testify, right? We testify in that It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. We're not living for ourselves ultimately. That leads us to the next verses. Let's read 13 to 18 together. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. 
Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So the second point I want to draw to this is that we serve Christ, not our convictions. Paul, Paul returns to this, this differing convictions around food, right? The differing beliefs that were around, that they were grappling with in the church. About this, this thing about some foods are unclean and, and others say nothing's unclean. It's all clean. And, and, and this, again, this had the potential to be deeply divisive. And I, I don't think we can understand that. We're not there in that cultural context. But I think we can understand this obviously was a big issue. Paul devotes an entire chapter to it. There, there were those who, they, they had deep convictions that believed that being faithful to Jesus meant you had to abstain from certain things. And Paul, he makes his conviction really clear. He says, I am fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that everything's clean. That, that, that nothing is unclean. So Paul, he's, he's not holding back. This is my opinion. And Paul suggests even in that, that those who are holding those other convictions, actually, that they're, they're misguided. I mean, if you look at the whole of Paul's writings in the New Testament, he, he held that everything was, was clean. But, and, and so he's saying, like, like, you're misguided in that. And so, now think about that. Wouldn't then the response be out of that, hey, you're free to believe what you want and live that conviction but I'm going to eat whatever I want and as much as I want. You can't control me. I'm going to do what I want. You do you, I'll do me. Good. And yet Paul's response is completely different. He says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. He says, if your conviction is bringing distress upon your brothers and sisters and you don't care, you are no longer acting in love. Now, we, we might even think that's a bit extreme, right? That also shows how big of an issue this was. This was a big issue. But Paul says, in holding to your conviction, like, like if we think like he's going a little bit overboard, he says, in holding to your conviction, don't destroy someone for whom Christ died. Don't destroy them. Like, like what if our conviction is causing a stumbling block and an obstacle for someone else? So, in my early 20s, I had a couple circumstances where I wasn't happy with how I handled alcohol as a believer. Just a couple situations. And, and it led me to ask myself, uh, and, and Jess will remember this, <laughs> it led me to really deeply dive into, okay, what is my conviction as a follower of Jesus around alcohol? And how am I going to handle this? Because, again, like I said, like I, I, I held deep convictions and so I wrestled with it, and I came away studying scripture, talking to people, saying, no, I'm okay with it in moderation. I am okay with it. 
Now, I also have a really clear conviction, a strong conviction that we have to avoid drunkenness. Absolutely. That, that is just completely inappropriate for a follower of Jesus. I also have my own convictions, my personal disputable matters, convictions about hard alcohol, recognizing that it's, it's a disputable matter. So Jess and I, we were invited to, to a party at some friend's house around that time who were in the church, and, uh, and they, they had renovated their basement, and they, they, had, they had quite the bar set up in their basement. It was, a, it was kind of a big deal for them. And they, they liked getting into mixing drinks and hard alcohol, and it was, their whole kind of basement was set up around this. And I, I struggled with it. I, I struggled with, with the aspect of that. Um, probably a little bit, it hit a little bit too close to home to some of my bar hopping days that I had left, and I had, I had, I had rejected as a follower of Jesus. And it made me uncomfortable because of the convictions that I had. Now, and so I had to wrestle with that, right? When I was in the steel industry years ago, uh, part of my job, it was expected that I would take out clients consistently for, for events and dinners and, you know, expense and wine and dine, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I had a a client that uh, I, had, I had built a relationship with and, and he was a follower of Jesus and I was a follower of Jesus, but we had differing convictions around some of this stuff. He was a little, quite a bit more conservative in that regard. And so uh, Jess and I were taking him and his wife out for this big dinner and going into like, I wanted to have a beer with my steak. Like I was like, I do not want to have Coke with my steak. And, but I knew how he felt about abstinence when it came to alcohol. And so I thought about that at the time. And I was reminded, I was reminded of these verses as I thought about it. And I thought, okay, you know what? I came to the realization, this is a really easy decision for me. I am not going to make my brother stumble. I am not going to do something that is going to potentially cause him offense, cause him to look at me differently. We, we can feel differently. I still, I feel very differently. But I'm not going to do that. Now, so I wanted a beer with my steak. Could I justify it? Yeah. Sure I could. I could have. I absolutely could have justified that. Biblically, I could have justified it. But that's not the question. The question is, Paul, would you be acting in love? To deny ourselves and to consider the impact our convictions have on others is to serve Jesus. Now, I'll even take it a step further. To deny ourselves and resist the need to assert our convictions on others is to serve Jesus. We are all going to hold convictions, but when we hold to them with no thought for others, we are we're not following the example of Jesus anymore. Even, even if we're convinced we're right. Paul was fully persuaded in the Lord. So even if I am like fully persuaded in the Lord, no, I'm right about this issue. I'm right. I've got all these biblical explanations for it. This is why I'm right. We must still surrender our convictions to serve others. Oh boy. We... I don't like that. Guys, do you like that? I don't overly like that. 
Remember, I, I don't have a lot of gray area in my life. And this, so this is the thing. There is no way, if we are going to live like this, that this will not require sacrifice and humility on our part. It absolutely will. Verse 17 there, it says, Paul says, the kingdom of God. What he's saying there, it's not about our convictions. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. And who's the source of all righteousness, peace, and joy? Jesus. And to become like Jesus clearly calls us to serve others. When we look at the totality of the New Testament, we look at the way of Jesus, we look at what it calls us to, one of the hallmarks of it is serve others, serve others, serve others. And this is reminding us, I, I know I said this last week again, but I think it's so, I, I want to internalize this beyond just words, that to follow the way of Jesus is for the sake of others. And, and, and what that does, again, is it, it cuts across our wills. It does, because our wills don't want to do that. But doesn't the cross cut across our will as well? To lay our lives down for others. Romans 13 there, it speaks of love, loving others as the fulfillment of the law. It is, it's about loving others 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love that is not self-seeking. So, for all the talk about diversity and equality in our culture, like so much of that talk, what, what drives most of us? Let's be real. What drives most of us? Look out for myself and for my family. So we, we've got a huge Huge challenge in the body of Christ. A massive challenge. How do we live this way with one another when so much around us influences us to say, just live for yourself? So, it would call us here, be led by the sacrificial love of Jesus. Sensitive to the views of others rather than simply asserting your rights. Not, and not just sensitive, willing to listen Okay, let's read the last few verses here. We're going we're gonna to camp on this to end. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So I want to end by talking about how we seek peace in building others up over our convictions. Once again, he, Paul, he, he asserts it clearly. He's like, all food is clean. All f- they're, 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 this is the, he clearly stating what he believes. But even though that is the case, he says, to disregard how that conviction impacts others is wrong. He says, rather, it's better or It honors Christ to not do anything that will bring harm to the faith of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so if it wasn't already clear, it's crystal clear now in these verses. Following Jesus calls us to a great deal of submission and sacrifice. 
It's, it's really a, it's aligning with the words of Ephesians 5 where it says there, submit to one another out of honor, out of reverence for Jesus. And verse 19, if you're reading it, you're like, that sounds a lot like the, the beginning of Ephesians 4. It's almost like identical to Ephesians 4.3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Being eager that word there where it says being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, it means to spare no effort. It's, it's emphatic in its tense. Like just don't let anything get in your way from that. And then here in Romans 14, it also says that we are to make every effort to mutual edification. That just means every effort to building others up. We, we've just got to make every effort with one another. We want to build one another up. Like, like that's, isn't that a beautiful picture? Like, Quint, I just, I want to build you up. I, I, that's what, I want to make every effort. Val, I want to make every effort to build you up. Chuck, I want to make every effort to build you up. Chris, every effort, I want to make every effort that I'm building you up. That I'm seeking peace and laying down my convictions. So rather than holding strenuously to those things, we, we've got to look for every opportunity. What's every opportunity I can do to, hey, I want to, I want to build them up. I want to seek peace. Can, can you imagine if we did that at every turn in the body of Christ? Just imagine that. If that was truly our motivation and our intent with one another. I want to build you up. I want to seek peace. Can you, it would be an amazing experience, folks, with one another. Here's the thing. At least for me, my sin and my selfishness has a habit of getting in the way. Any of you there? A thing of sin and selfishness. And, and here's the thing, because our convictions are so deeply rooted in us and they feel so much a part of the very, like, part of who we are, th this can be, like, brutally difficult, okay? Like, like reality, right? Let's, let's hit where the rubber hits the road. This is nice. This is great what Paul's writing. This is brutally difficult in the church at times, We're, we are quick to assert our rights. We're conditioned to that. And of course, this, this brings us back to, okay, where's the line? Where's that line? How, how do we determine that line? We, we will have different convictions, but we need to look to Jesus. What did Jesus model? And, and the thing that I, I am struck by in these days is Jesus was not quick to assert his rights. In fact, he was the opposite of that. And, and, and these, these are, those are deeply felt questions that we've got to wrestle with, right? Because Jesus, he calls us to die to ourselves. We're called to be united in him, with him, in his death. That's hard. That's brutal. It's brutal to have to die to ourselves, to lay down ourselves and go, I'm, I'm dying to this. It's hard. We have to surrender. But the promise is, this is the promise that we've got to embrace. 
we receive his life. You receive, the promise is you receive the life of Jesus. That, that's what we need. I, I don't, you don't need more of Paul. I can definitely tell you you don't need more of that. Okay. So, okay. So here's where I want to end. How, how do we earnestly strive for peace and building up one another? How? Well, we, got, we have to listen. First, we start with listening. We, we've, like, we've got to really hear one another. We've got to create space to receive from others. Hear one another out. Then, so we've got to listen. We've got to share. Like, we have to be willing. There's, there's, you have to step into that place where you're willing to be vulnerable, where you're willing to share what you're really feeling, to really share your convictions, and 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 to be honest about what we're feeling and to have a space where we're not judged by that, where we're, that's embraced and there's grace and there's mercy and there's love. We shall be known by our love for one another. We're, we're, we're operating under that premise. We want to love one another. We want to listen. We want to share. And we've got to be willing to receive. Be willing to receive from others. To think about our convictions and where we might be misguided. And, and, and you know, and I know, I, I'm not, I am not like the poster child for this. I'm not. Uh, and that is like tone, response, body language. All of that is so important in how we do this, right? And like, are we coming at it aggressively and intense? Like, this is the challenge for us. Or are we, are we, are we doing it in a way that, that welcomes others to, to be heard and where we feel we're being heard? Do, do we, so the question is, do we want to create community like that? Do we? That, that is committed to healing and acting in love towards one another. I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, this is, this is one reason why home groups are actually so crucial to our connection. This is, this is I, I would say this is, this passage is probably one of the reasons that for me is like, this is why coming together, being committed consistently to meeting together in smaller groups is such a gift because this, this can happen in home groups. It, it can Okay, I want to end. I, I want to end with this. Th this is this is this is the question I, I guess I'm posing to myself, and I want to put it to you too. In, in this, as we sort of over all of these words here in Romans 14, how am I exemplifying and proclaiming Jesus? Is this about me? Or is it about reaching others with the love of Jesus? So in so many things we can ask that, right? Is, is this about me? Or is this about reaching others with the love of Jesus? And where am I at with that? Oh yeah, okay. I'm actually not going to mention these questions because of time. Um, there's two slides. If you want to take them down, wonderful. Uh, we'll share them on our social media feeds. So if you, if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, we'll, we'll, uh, these are just some questions for us to, to work out. But Jen, why don't you come up and why don't we, uh, why don't we pray together?
Father, we, uh, we want to begin by thanking you for your grace because, Lord, when we're talking about stuff like this, we all need your grace. God, we, we all, we make mistakes in this. We, we make missteps. We don't treat others as the way we should be treating them. We don't feel like we're being treated the way we want to be treated. And, and Lord, there's, there's so, many, so much of this that, that we have to wrestle through and walk through the realities of life. And so, Father, we, we want to thank you for your grace and we want to ask for an outpouring of your grace on us. Jesus, we thank you that you are so faithful to us. We thank you that you died for us. We thank you that, that in you, in you is found all life, all joy. Jesus, help us to, to love one another well. Help us to handle our convictions in a way that honors you, Lord, in a way that, that loves others and serves them well. And Jesus, help us. Help us as we seek to grow in this. Lord, as we seek to be led by you. Jesus, we ask that you transform us. We ask you to heal us. We ask that you would bring a deeper sense of unity than we've ever had. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Jesus.